basketball. Good sport, in my opinion. Um, hello, friends. Welcome back to Chapel Phil, the podcast for ethically curious UNC students. Um, in a very special episode today, I'm Samad Rangunwala. I'm Aiden Groves. It's just me and Aiden today. Um, no Lorelai, no Marcella to keep us, you know, reined in check. Um, so we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about basketball, which is a very fun sport. Um, in case you didn't know, the uh, NCAA tournament, as of the time of recording this, just kind of wrapped up. The UConn Huskies won their fifth championship in the last 25 years um, by steamrolling Iona, Arkansas, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, um, Miami, Miami, and San Diego State um, just by, like, absurd margins in every game. An average margin of victory by something like something like 20 something points yeah something like 20 something points they didn't uh, i think they handed gonzaga their worst loss in the last like six years something crazy like that it was almost 30 point victory over gonzaga i remember that well gonzaga's a fraud team anyways gonzaga was a fraud team rest in peace drew timmy they always Um, are a fraud team no offense to any gonzaga fans or gonzaga players listening but Join a real conference. Yeah, if we have any uh, f- friends and family in Spokane, Washington, um, we're very sorry. Um, so this this episode is going to be about basketball, um, specifically the NCAA tournament, um, and whether or not it is the ethical way to run a collegiate championship. Um, and there's some interesting questions about fairness and the point of collegiate sports as opposed to them like are do they exist as a entertainment product or do they exist as a way to see who is the best in amateur sports um in any given year there's some there's some interesting questions especially when it comes to the way basketball works as a sport um but first some history um shout out to the ymca for teaching me all of this um, multiple times and in fact making me teach this history to wide amounts of people um, but basketball was invented in the late 19th century by a physical education instructor by the name of, name of James Naismith you might know him because of the Naismith Hall of Fame as well as I think I think they make basketballs with his name on him pretty sure um so essentially, he was this YMCA guy, and uh, his boss, uh, a man by the name of Luther Gulick, who also kind of revolu- revolutionized physical education in the U.S., um, asked him, like, hey, can you please come up with a sport that we can play indoors in the winter? Um, and he said, very cool, and um, asked a janitor to bring him a ball and some hoops. But the janitor ended up bringing him peach baskets out of the closet instead because they didn't have any hoops at the time. Um, so he nailed those baskets to a um, to a pole and divided his class of like 20 people into two teams of nine and had them kind of duke it out. And that basketball looked very different. You couldn't dribble. You couldn't run. Um, you like the fouling system was different. Um, all sorts of wild things. They also had to um, like call the janitor in every couple of minutes um whenever somebody scored a goal so they could get the ball out of the out of the hoop with a ladder um and then eventually they decided to cut the bottom out of the hoop yeah they were not putting up numbers like we are today where we we have teams scoring 147 143 in regulation yeah 
one one I, I think it could be argued that Bron Bron James, um, the light of my life, um, would be would be the best in that time period as well. I would I would go as far as to say he would probably be the best player in the early night in the early eighteen hundreds. If, if we so. if we invent a if anybody ever invents a time machine, um, I think should bring Bron Bron James back to eighteen ninety one and Could see how score he does. Twelve thousand points. Absolutely. That would be a sight to see. Anyway, so on to the actual ethics. Um, Aiden, do you want to give us a little bit of insight into the NCAA tournament and how it works? I would love to. So, essentially, you've got 68 teams. Two of the 16 seeds are reserved for two for playing games, as well as two of the 11 seeds, which at approximately, I think, 32 or 34 <laughs> Or so of the of the spots on in the in the NCAA tournament, they're reserved for teams that win their conference or it's thirty two auto qualifiers. Auto qualifiers, which it makes sense. You got to keep the the smaller conferences happy because they they don't play against any good competition. So it, with the way they do metrics, it probably wouldn't it wouldn't make the tournament otherwise. Those conferences also get um it it, it guarantees them money because the way the um the, the tournament has a lot of money and prizes that it gives out, and each team gets a certain amount of, like, I think it's like $600,000 this year. Per um, win. Per win for the next 10 years. So this guarantees a chunk of this, like, prize money to every conference, no matter what. And the playing teams are usually garbage. True. They, generally, this is the first ever year a play-in 16 seed has ever won a game. And they won two games? They won three games if you include the play-in, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't remember how. I, I forgot by now. But that's a lot of money. That's more money than the conference has ever seen before because it's given out every year for four or five years, I think, as well. So they've secured their conference the most amount of money they've ever received before. Yeah, that and the, the craziest thing about it is that team – didn't even win their conference tournament. It was just some weird NCAA rules about like teams moving up from D2 to D1, not being allowed to participate in the postseason for some reason. You um, can't participate in the first four years of your D1 ship. So this second place team in a bad conference ended up beating Purdue, a fraudulent team led they by were? a 7-4 guy. They were generally considered one of the favorites to win, but they lost immediately. And the third time, three years in a row, that the Purdue team has been ranked above the, like in the top four and lost in the first round. So, yeah. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe, and this, I think this is an excellent segue. It is a our, very excellent segue. Into our considering how teams are ranked and how they're brought into the tournament. Right. So if you look at the way the tournament is set up, it's a single elimination tournament, which means um, if you lose once, you are out. Um, and you, you can compare that to the way a lot of... Um, really, the only other sport that does things like that is um, football. And football has a key reason for doing that in that if you make people play too many games, they start to die. Um because of concussions and all that. Like, if you did a seven-game series with a football team, um, you would probably be on your, like, seventh string. And a seven-game series would 
after two rounds, double the amount of games played. Yeah, um, like the UNC football team plays 12 games. The UNC basketball team, if they make a run to the championship, is playing somewhere around 40 um, across like the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. So um, if you look at what the NBA does to um, crown their champion, it's a series of series. So you have to win a best of seven series, like what, four times? Um, I think so, but... There's also the play-ins in the NBA now where oh. you have to win a shorter series. And I think the best way is the way that the MLB does it, where you start off small. Like the first series are series best first to three, then you go to five, or at least how they used to do it, first to three, then to five, then to seven. Because you know, no one wants to watch four games of the number one seed demolishing the number 10 seed yeah so you might as you want to keep that as short as possible so the advantage of the nba format is it makes sure that the best team in any given year generally speaking will win the championship unless they get unlucky have like a lot of injuries that kind of thing right Generally speaking, I would I would be inclined to agree with that statement. Um, and so that's the way the professional teams do it. But in the NCAA and like college basketball, the best team generally doesn't win. Um, and you can see that like if you put Purdue against FDU in a best of seven series, Purdue almost definitely comes out on top. Considering that they beat many better teams multiple times. I would, again, be inclined to agree with you there. So the madness of March Madness comes from the fact that pretty much any team can beat any team on any given night, which means the best team almost always doesn't win the championship. Um, What do we think about that? Um, Especially considering that these aren't professional sports in a entertainment league their their primary job as college athletes is not to be an entertainer or like um, put on a show it's to compete and to show their skills in the hopes of you know being able to continue to compete professionally um, and like grow in their sport so if we if we were, you were redesigning um, a championship Aiden would you make March Madness again. I would only modify it ever so slightly because I think that even though the best team doesn't win all the time or most of the time, I think that that's actually the best way to do it because the best team, they're already getting all their good playing time. All their players are getting shown on primetime TV during the regular season. They're getting so much publicity. You know, all all these NBA teams and scouts already see them all the time. But what about some you know, really good player, but maybe he's from like rural Missouri and he went to like some sort of really crappy school, but he never, so he never really had a chance to, you know, get recruited, get scouted like D1. So So now he's, now he's at like a lower tier school, but he like carries him to a conference championship. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Steph Curry at Davidson and their uh, run in like 2011, was it? Very similar. Yeah. Very, very similar. So the only thing I would consider changing is I might make the championship like a three-game series, but even then I don't think so 
because I think even though the best team doesn't win all the time, I think it's generally better. Because so you, you, you think the parody and because there's so much media attention around it that um, spreading that media attention to schools that might ne- not necessarily get it otherwise um, is a good thing. Exactly. Exactly what I'm saying. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, if you were going to do a smaller, like, series, then you would necessarily have to cut the field down. Um, Because in March Madness, you cut out half of the field in, like, the first two days. I just think it's it's better, generally, to allow for these people, allow for these players to showcase their their skills on a a larger field. Because no one watches the small, big W East miniature conference finals. No one's ever seen that. But someone would maybe watch their favorite team playing them is there do you think that there's nece- like there's a way to kind of balance these two desires that we have um on the one hand to give the championship to the team that deserves it the most and on the other hand ensure that there is some level of parity in terms of where everybody gets a chance to win the championship um, I think probably the best way to do it is the way that they're doing it now, where the best teams have the easiest competition. Okay. So they should just, the number one seed should beat the number 16 seed every time. It's only not happened twice. So I feel that that's the best way to do it because my my only real issue is how they do seeding. So if the problem is with the way seeding is done, which I agree, um, I mean, you can you can kind of look at it like UConn criminally underseeded, Purdue very overrated. FAU lost like five games, and they were rated like they were like a nine seed when everyone everyone who who knows things was like this is they are underseeded, right? And that's an issue. They're the NCAA cares too much about these nerd <laughs> statistics. Yeah, like if you look at the. Um, Joe Lunardi, the uh, the bracketologist, and all of his dumb little metrics, his his little nerd gadgets, um, he consi- like over the last couple of seasons, he's had the Big Ten, um, as one of the best conferences in the country, and yet they consistently are completely out of the tournament by like the Sweet Sixteen. Because they suck. SEC same way. Mountain West Conference is the most egregious example because about every year, the Mountain West, for the last few years, the Mountain West Conference has gotten more or less the same amount of bids as the ACC. And this year is the first year that a team from the Mountain West Conference has won a game in the NCAA tournament. That's kind of crazy. So there's a, there's a problem in the way that the selection committee is overvaluing um certain teams based on their but but these metrics are supposed to be unbiased right but it's kind of a bit of a feedback loop because if a good like if you're beating a supposedly good team like if you if the thing ranks your team supposedly good and another team beats that team is it because that team was good or is the other team just not that good and then if enough teams beat the good team then the good team's not a good one anymore and they're no longer considered one of the good wins Right. So what happened with North Carolina this year was we came into the um, ACC tournament with a single quad one win. And that's just a way that the 
um, tournament breaks down the quality of your um, the the selection committee breaks down the quality of your games. So, for example, beating a top thirty team at home um, is considered a quad one win. Beating a top seventy five team on the road is also considered a quad one win. But a the a quad one win is determined at the end of the season. So we beat Virginia at home toward the end of the regular season. That was considered to be a quad one win. And then what happened was Virginia started losing, and us beating them was part of that losing streak that they had for a little bit. So by the time we got to the ACC tournament and we were supposed to play them in, I think it was the quarterfinals, um, they were right on the bubble of that like 30 line. So if we beat them in the tournament, they would have fallen below a quad. They would have fallen below 30, and all of a sudden that game we had against them during the regular season is no longer a quad one win. But at the same time, beating them in the ACC tournament, because they would still be top 50 and that's a neutral court, would make beating them again in the ACC tournament still a quad one win. So no matter what happens... UNC was left, uh, no matter what happened, the outcome of that game, UNC would have been left with a single quad one win, and winning or losing doesn't change any of our metrics. Yeah, it's just, it's a bit of a bummer. And another specific instance of something that is only possible by taking into consideration statistics and not any eye test or reasoning is NC State being in the tournament and Clemson not. Clemson beat NC State three times in the season. Clemson also lost to Louisville, which was one of the worst teams in the country. Yeah, but they beat a team three times, and the other team was like an 11 seed. So an, another ethical question for all of you for all of you listeners out here, do we value a team's ceiling more than their floor? Um, because you can look at a team like Clemson, which is beating some of the best teams in the country um, and is also losing to some of the worst. So do we evaluate them as a middle-of-the-pack team, as a good team that has the capacity to beat anyone, or a bad team that could lose to anyone? Everybody has to love the Big Ten, and this is another issue um, with college sports in general is the, the monetary aspect to it. Um, and so part of the reason why the ACC the last couple of years has kind of been getting thrashed in the national media, despite being a good conference as indicated by the three teams in the final four that they've had in the last two years, like has been consistently disrespected by the national media. Um, and that's because they bring in less money than the Big Ten and the SEC who sign these like big new media deals. Um, so ESPN is trying to get their money's worth out of the trillion dollars they're paying or the billion dollars they're paying the Big Ten. Um, so they kind of have an incentive to perpetuate these narratives um, about, you know, certain teams being good and certain teams being bad. And then the, the people like the narratives shape who gets into the tournament. Um, from the bubble teams and it determines who's going to get a one seed in an easier path as opposed to like the three seed. Um, so today we talked about the NCAA tournament, um, a little bit about the NBA finals. Um, is this the best way 
to you know determine the champion the champion in any given sport um specifically it is, is this the best way to determine the champion in college basketball um and i, th I think we kind of came to a consensus that yes it's probably the best for college considering that it's typically a jumping off point for people to play in the professional league so it's nice to get everybody a at least a little share of the limelight right so we're, we're more worried about creating a equal playing field considering the amount of media attention that surrounds um you know college football and college basketball and giving some of these smaller schools um a chance in the spotlight when otherwise it would just be like unc duke kansas all the time always um which is cool for us, but not for everybody else. Yeah, I else. mean, I wouldn't complain, but we we, we feel like like the parity in college basketball is more important than the necessarily competitive aspect of does the best team get the championship every year. I mean, UConn is the best team in the country, and they won. Yeah. So, so uh, congrats to UConn, and congrats LSU. Um, we talked a lot That's about true. men's basketball. However, the uh, women's March Madness tournament was also fantastic. Fantastic. Most watched women's basketball game of all time. Incredible. Um, Caitlin Clark went crazy. Um, it would have been nice if the refs let them play the basketball game. Yeah. But, you know, you you, you can't get what you want all the time. No. But uh, congrats to LSU as well. Um, so this has been a, another episode of Chapel Phil. Um, Specifically, I'm coining the term. This is Chapel Phil episode Aiden and Samad Unleashed awesome um i, I i'm samad rungunwala i'm here with my favorite co-host of all time aiden groves and you can yeah you can follow us on instagram at chapel Full podcast um you can find us on all of your various podcasts um shout out to the par center gary par um and I'm gonna keeps give, the lights on thank you sally for letting us do this um and an extra special shout out to lorelei for editing the 30 minutes of recording that we have into something coherent. Uh, we love our listeners and we will talk to you later. Also, special thank you to Marcella Kingman for not being here, but being here in spirit. This is so true. Marcella, we love you. She's a presence that is very dearly missed. Uh, yeah, you keep us on track and focused, and um, I think that might come, come through. She's the leash for reference. Yeah. That's not here, as in Aiden and Samad, unleashed. And imagine sick block text with fire coming off of it. That's what goes on. That's that's what's unleashed or spelled in. Mm -hmm.